This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. Hi, everybody. Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. You guys, welcome to the show and welcome to this series. Every year that I live longer, I realize this is the stuff of real life because we are in a series called For the Love of Calming the Chaos. Because the truth of life is that bad things happen. They do. And they happen to us. And if they haven't happened to you, live longer. And I don't mean that in a doomsday way. I just mean that's how life is. And it's not because we're doing it wrong. It's because that's how life is. And so a lot of times we know what is happening to us in the moment is awful or wrong. We know that it's painful. But sometimes we're not exactly sure how dark those things were until that pain shows up again in our lives later sometimes years later, it may be in a completely different way. And when those come up, it can just throw our life into a tailspin and it creates chaos and unhappiness. And sometimes we're not even sure how to source it. Like what's the root here? And so how do we begin to walk toward healing when we may be mired in the muck of trauma so deep that we're not even sure how to move forward? So Our guest for this episode has walked through this very thing. I have so much respect for how she has navigated and and is still navigating this. The absolutely chaotic parts, the hard and the painful, the traumatic parts. Frankly, any of us who have experienced trauma in any way will bump up against it at some point again, right? Because as we know, the body does keep the score. So let me tell you about her a little bit. By the time she was 30, On paper, Stephanie Fu was super successful. She had her dream job as a producer at This American Life. Whoa, loving boyfriend. But like behind her office door, she was having panic attacks and sobbing at her desk every single morning. And after a few years of just going and going, what is wrong with, what's wrong with me? She was finally diagnosed with complex PTSD, which we're going to talk about, which is a different iteration of PTSD. Well, I'll let her explain it because she's going to. So she was determined to not just understand her diagnosis, but recover. And the result of all of this, her findings, her process, her healing work, she turned into a very beautiful, very powerful memoir called 
What My Bones Know. Isn't that a great title? What My Bones Know. Let me just say this real quickly as to my beloved listeners. Unfortunately, part of Stephanie's story is, is that she grew up with the chronic, consistent pain of childhood abuse. And so I just want to let you know now that if her story isn't what you need to hear today, maybe just turn it right off and walk right away, of course. But if you're in a place to hear it, I do encourage you to, because her story is moving and her spirit is powerful and her recovery is so hopeful because she went to the depths of her darkness. She confronted it and still does confront it actually. And she's beating it back every single day, the best that she can. And I was moved and inspired by every single word she said to me today. And I'm grateful for her vulnerability and proud of her for offering this lantern to people who are walking a similar path. So it's my honor to share this conversation with an incredible writer, incredible producer, and really incredible human, Stephanie Fu. Stephanie, welcome to the For the Love podcast. The team and I are really fascinated with you and we admire you. And we were all just really, really glad that you said yes to this show. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really grateful to be here. Thank you. So, okay. I've just told my listeners a little bit about you. I've just filled them in sort of high level stuff, but if you don't mind, just sort of up here at the 40,000 foot view, could you, in your own words, just tell my community who you are, where you are, and kind of basically what you do? Sure. I am a journalist, a radio producer, an author. I wrote What My Bones Know, and I am a friend, a mom-to-be, I guess, a tree friend. (laughs) I like to volunteer in nature a lot. And yeah, my goal is to help people with complex PTSD feel a little bit less alone and advocate for better mental health care. Mm -hmm. And where are you in the world? Oh, I'm in Queens. In Queens. And you're a Mm mom-to-be. That's exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. So you mentioned complex PTSD. So if you don't mind, kind of before we drill down into your personal story, just from sort of a diagnostic label perspective, could you talk about what that is? I think Every, everyone's heard of PTSD, but complex post-traumatic stress disorder is something different, right? Can you sort of suss out the differences for us? Yeah. So you can get traditional PTSD from a single traumatic event. So if you're in a car crash, you can get PTSD from that. Complex PTSD is kind of like if you were in that car crash every week for five years, it's when the trauma occurs over and over and over. And unless you're tremendously unlucky, which you're probably not, you are probably receiving that abuse from someone you know or someone who's supposed to take care of you. So 
It can occur in like domestic violence situations. It can happen from living in a war zone. Mine happened from pretty brutal child abuse and neglect. Thank you for explaining that. And one last sort of clinical question before we talk a little bit about your story. Do the two iterations of PTSD present themselves really differently in a body? Are the repercussions of complex PTSD different than a sort of single PTSD? Yeah, I believe so. I think that complex PTSD has the potential to be far more relational. When you have a single traumatic event or a traumatic event that's sort of kept to one specific incident or space or scene, your triggers are sort of related to that space. Whereas complex PTSD, when you have literally thousands of traumatic events, you might have a far broader range of triggers and the world itself may become more dangerous. And so I think it also, because so many people have complex PTSD from relationships that they were supposed to be able to trust, like relationships with their parents, foundational relationships, it makes us less likely to trust people in general or trust ourselves around other people. And so living a life, not being able to trust people or being afraid of other people can be pretty miserable and hard. Mm. Thank you so much for being willing to talk about your story with just a lot of candor and courage. Can you tell us just a little bit about your experience here and maybe leading it in and then and then we'll talk about a moment really where you just said something's not right and I need to address whatever's happening in my body. But can you talk a little bit about your history, your experience? Sure. My parents were not very loving people. I am an immigrant from Malaysia. I grew up in San Jose, California. My family, me and my parents were the only ones in my family who immigrated to the United States. And so it was just the three of us. And my mom and dad were very physically and verbally abusive to me. My mom wound up abandoning me when I was 13 and my dad wound up abandoning me when I was 16. So I finished out the last couple of years of high school by myself. And that was after sort of a whole lifetime of severe abuse. So yeah, that was what I was working with. Not mm-hmm. the best set of tools. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you immigrated here? I was like two and a half. Okay. So you were just a baby or just really little. And so against all odds, genuinely, you found your way into adulthood and by all measures were successful and functioning outwardly, right? right. At least Mm -hmm. until you weren't right. And so can you talk a little bit about what was actually happening in your body, in your mind, in your life, and the moment of reckoning where you just said, you know, this is, this can't go on like this. Yeah. I think one of the driving forces that really pushed me to be so successful in my career was fear really, and a desire to be safe. I thought that having a career, being able to make decent money would guarantee me 
economic safety. That's what I was taught as an immigrant. And I also thought that being successful would grant me safety and love, you know, the respect of working at a fancy place like this American life. But after four or five years of working there, uh, I felt anything but safe. I felt scared all the time. And I was burning out at work. I felt unable to actually produce. It was around 2018 and work had always been my constant source of comfort. No matter how depressed or anxious I was, I would always be able to be productive. And so when I found myself struggling to do that, I felt sort of lost. Who am I? What am I doing? Am I worth anything? And I also was turning 30 and was struggling in relationships, like felt like I was being a burden to my friends and coworkers because of my depression. And and I started to think I've been sad and anxious and scared for so long, even though my life seems like it's safe and fine. What's going on? There's got to be something wrong with me, which is when I pushed my therapist for a diagnosis and she told me that I had complex PTSD. And this was manifesting for you also in more extreme physical ways, right? Like you panic and you were having to keep a lid on real physical like symptoms too at the same time, weren't you? Yeah, I think I was panicking a lot, feeling very overwhelmed and tired. I think in time, not at that point, but in time, it was clear that it was taking a toll on my body in terms of I was diagnosed with hypermobility. I had like a lot of joint issues, migraines, endometriosis, stuff like that. But that kind of was all a little bit later, but certainly was connected to the, my stress and trauma. So I want to talk in for just a moment about your therapist who you just mentioned, but can we hover here for just a moment? Because something that you come back to a lot in your memoir is this idea of inherited trauma. And so I wonder if you could talk about your parents' histories a little bit, and then ultimately how that shaped your childhood. Yeah. Growing up, my parents' histories were sort of very opaque. My family didn't really talk about trauma too much. My mother was adopted, and so I don't know much about her birth parents or her real parents. It's just something that they never said anything about. My father, his dad was imprisoned actually for five years during the Malayan emergency, which was a war in Malaysia that I never learned about until I was an adult. I didn't know that, you know, my grandparents on both sides, of course, survived the Japanese occupation of Malaysia. And that was really difficult Lots of Chinese, ethnic Chinese like us, were imprisoned during the Malayan emergency and the Japanese occupation, were killed. It was a time of mass starvation. And so definitely there was some trauma behind the scenes there. Don't exactly really know how it manifested in my parents' lives still, but I think probably it had some impact on the way that I was raised. Certainly it had an impact on the way they were raised, which without addressing it or facing it or processing it in any healthy way will 
eventually pass on. And in that vein, you did some research into how trauma literally can change our genetics, our genes, and then how that gets passed down, which is really fascinating. Can you talk about that? What did you learn? How does that work? Like, what does that actually look like? How does that manifest? Yeah. So I learned about epigenetics and there's evidence that trauma can be passed down in mice and other animals. For example, there's this pretty famous study at this point that's very well cited in which mice were pumped the smell of cherry blossoms and then shocked. And then their children and their grandchildren, even though they were never shocked, when they smelled cherry blossoms, they would also freeze and panic. And they, without, you know, their parents having told them, (laughs) I guess, that cherry blossoms are dangerous, this knowledge had somehow passed through them through eggs or sperm. So one of the potential explanations for that is epigenetics. So our epigenome lies on top of our DNA and it kind of acts like a spark notes for our body that helps determine which of our genes get read and which don't. Like we can't change our DNA, but methylation can change what genes in our DNA might get read or not. And it's possible that that methylation, that epigenome can be passed down to our children. And so it is possible that having a grandmother who survived a war, for example, might impact the way that her grandchild processes stress. I may have inherited my grandmother's desire and ability to hustle. And that might be in my genes. It might be just through nurture as well, not nature. And what I was taught as a child, it's kind of a mystery, but it certainly would explain a lot. That's fascinating. I mean, that to me opens up a hundred new questions, you know, that are we just sort of sitting ducks for our parents and grandparents' traumas, you know, or can those be overcome and addressed? Mm -hmm. I think it's a combination. I wouldn't say, I don't think that that we don't have agency. I absolutely think that we have agency. And I think that there's a lot of evidence in favor of the power of nurture and how resilient we can be and how children can be, especially with the right love, parenting, support. That being said, you know, I'm sure as you know, like kids come out with their own personalities too. So I think it really is a combo. So let's talk about Dr. Ham, your therapist. You found him in such a modern way on a podcast. (laughs) Can you talk about your exposure to his work, what you heard of him, how you reached out to him, and then ultimately a little bit about your therapeutic relationship with him and how he was instrumental? Yeah, I heard him on this podcast my friend sent me called Road to Resilience, which is Mount Sinai's podcast. And in it, he was with Daryl Hammond and they were talking about complex PTSD. And I was in a place of 
you know, I was healing. I had been doing a lot of work on CPTSD, but CPTSD was still so pathologized in the literature that I still had a lot of shame over having it. And I felt like it made me a bad person or a weak person. And so I heard him talking about CPTSD as being the Incredible Hulk, in which it's very similar. When you're triggered, you kind of black out, you get a little stupid, you speak in like two word sentences, you're yelling, get a little violent. But also, Bruce Banner, the Hulk are not villains, they're superheroes. When the Hulk hulks out often, it's to protect and defend his friends. And so he was talking about how CPTSD can be reframed as a superpower and essentially like we have to be able to deploy the Hulk when when we want to and keep him at bay when we don't want him. And that is the trick not to, to hate the Hulk altogether. And so that was the first time that I had heard anyone talk about CPTSD in a way that sounded not judgmental and pathologizing. And so I immediately wanted to go interview him. And so I made, I emailed him. He emailed me right back. I I went to his office at Mount Sinai and yeah, the idea was just to interview him, but he was intrigued by my line of questioning and he offered to treat me for, for three months for free if we recorded our sessions. And I was like, absolutely. Yeah he practiced something called relational therapy. And so it was having an interplay and really analyzing the interplay of how we rubbed up against each other, I guess, how, how to have conflicts with each other, how to resolve them. And it was almost like being reparented, like, wow. yeah, like relearning how to talk to someone, how to listen to someone, how to catch myself when I was triggered in conversation or when I was hiding in conversation and we really analyzed my behavior, we like recorded it and looked at it, everything in Google docs and really analyzed why and how I do the things that I do. And, and it gave me a much stronger sense of how to, how to like, how to be a person in the world, how to communicate with other people. Yeah. What did you discover in those sort of in the analysis as you were able to sort of kind of sit over here and look at yourself and examine your responses and your patterns did what emerged what what did that teach you it taught me that there were lots of little moments where i was triggered or dissociated that i wouldn't have thought as being triggered or dissociated because i was like well i'm not freaking out i'm not panicking you know but i would be hiding in conversation or I'd be stifling my needs or I would be confused, but going along with it, or I would be talking nonstop about something and not realizing where I was. And those were sort of micro ways that my trauma could manifest that were preventing me from truly connecting with other people and being seen by other people seeing other people. And so just being able to be a little bit more aware of those things. I don't think I'm perfect. I don't think any of us are. And I don't think that there's ever true clarity in a conversation or relationship in terms of knowing exactly what's going on. But it uh, did allow me to be a a lot more curious about myself 
and others. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Guys, it's already allergy season in Texas. My yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air. So I decided allergies will not win this year. So I tried Astapro. It has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster, bro. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. So get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go, you guys, today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. I'm thinking about the, the people listening who have some complex trauma and their stories. And I'm wondering if you were able, I think some would probably be obvious to you. And I wonder if some were less obvious. Did you start to notice in a new way, what some of your triggers were? What were some of the environmental factors or conversational or relational factors that kind of pulled the pin out of the grenade a little bit for you? I think it was surprising to me how being seen could be scary how how terrifying even in a positive way yeah could Mm -hmm. be for me or how asking for anything asking for clarity asking for comfort was terrifying to me and also how terrifying being emotional was for me I was uh, like when he upset me or made me emotional made me cry or vulnerable I'd become so embarrassed and angry at myself and it was interesting to inquire why that might be the case especially in a therapist's office I felt I could not be that it was insightful I don't know that necessarily all of it was even fixed like you know, here I am on this podcast sort of talking in a dissociated way about my parents being super abusive and also not getting particularly emotional. But, you know, I think it did make me question that flatness in spaces with trusted people who I feel really safe with, why I felt the need to hold up that veneer. And has encouraged me to be much more vulnerable in my close relationships. Have you felt the net effect of your recovery with the people that are in your inner circle? Are you at the place in your healing process where these conversations with them are on the table? Are you able to say, these are some of my triggers. So if you can be aware of them and I'm aware of them, we can navigate them together. Are you feeling the tendrils? of recovery matter in your life? Sure. More so than before. I don't know with everyone, but with a lot of people, sure. I feel a lot less anxious. I feel more able to make repairs with, with friends mm, and just say like, good. Hey, this isn't working for me. That's good. Like, let's figure it out. Or if somebody seems irritated at me being able to say like, Hey, having the courage to say what's going on. 
I have been a lot less willing to cut people out of my life without actually saying something first. <laughs> That's good. And of course, I think it's been really, really helpful in my my super close relationships, like with my husband, just our our ability to talk and be vulnerable around each other and have a lot more empathy for each other's trauma. As another writer, I would love to hear you talk about, and of course you're in journalism. I mean, this is, this is your world. Your world has always been built on words and conversations and the transference of information, of course, but it's different when you write your own memoir. That's not the same thing as producing a show with somebody else in the spotlight. And so I'm curious how you found the writing process, which was so deeply personal. And so I would just kind of like to hear what this whole process has been like for you, this disclosure and then this reception. Sure. The disclosure, you know, I think that is one of the superpowers of the CPTSD is that it wasn't that hard to write. (laughs) I shouldn't say that. That's like, here's what was hard. It was the healing. The healing was the hard part. And I really focused on making sure that I did the healing first. So it was like a year and a half of really aggressive, painful, painful healing. And I wasn't really writing during that point. I wasn't writing a book. I was just writing. I was just journaling. I was just word vomiting during that point. I wasn't worried about it being fancy or good or pretty. So when I was in a really happy place, when I felt like I had come to a really healed place and I was really proud of myself, that's when I could go through all of this writing that I had from my childhood, from my healing process and sort of take it almost as a journalist would and look at my raw material, my raw tape and reorganize it into something that made sense. And I think that was really, it was important for me to do that too, because I wanted it to be a memoir coming from a healed perspective so that people would feel more hopeful reading it. And that it wouldn't feel really just triggering throughout the whole book and too raw, you know, like I wanted to be able to have that sort of distance to actually take care of the reader because I know that they have complex PTSD. Yeah. That was wise. Yeah. And I just wanted it to be a kind and gentle, but honest resource. And I think that it worked because yeah the the response has been overwhelmingly positive there's been some there's been some negative stuff that's very it's very rare there's some people who are like well she didn't go through as much as i did oh like, sure it was worse that kind mm-hmm. of thing you know and i'm like yeah i understand that's fine i get it mm-hmm. right you <laughs> just kind of have to release it. those those yeah. that's not about you it's okay <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 but overwhelmingly it's all people saying like, wow, you get it. My, my trauma is very different from yours, but it, you get the feeling, the, the feeling of what it is to have CPTSD. And you made me feel not so alone. It's great. I, I think having really healthy boundaries around it is really important. I wanted to respond to and help every person who was like writing me questions. Like when some people would like, you know, tell me their life histories and things like that. But I got some really great advice from, I think it was Alyssa Bassist, who basically was like, when people ask you for for more, you don't have to give it because the book is what you gave. The book is enough. The book is your gift. 
So I, I've been trying to really keep that in mind and it's been really helpful. But I think overall too, lots of people have been really generous with just their support, their love. And, you know, when I announced that I was pregnant and it was very scary for me, everyone on Instagram, all my followers and readers were just like rooting for me saying, you're going to kill this. And so they have been really like a great resource for me too. And just letting me feel not alone as well, because I did feel very alone. And like, like I said, pathologized and freakish when I was first diagnosed. So just to, it really has felt like I've been able to build this little community on Instagram around the book and it's felt really safe and lovely. Yeah. 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 I, I believe you. I'm deeply connected to and grateful for my community, my online community of readers. And at this point, we feel like more than that because we've been through so much together. And so I do believe that you're at the 98% positive support space. The rest of it will always be there and is not about you. And so it's okay to, to not let that stick. But I can also imagine the gratitude that you've probably received from certainly there has to be some people who said, I have this and I did not know like reading your story, you explaining the science and the diagnoses behind it, that to them to say, this is me. I've just never been diagnosed. And I mean, that has to just, it is a gift. You said that a second ago, that your book is the gift. And it is even for some of your readers who can now understand someone they love in a clearer, more comprehensive way who have been through that. Yeah. I think some of the comments that have the most impact on me or that make me feel best are the ones who are like, I have this, but also you gave me hope and a way forward. And I know it's going to be a lot of work, but I'm, I feel ready because yeah. I think, I, I think you've shown me that it's good on the other side. And I'm like, yes, so good. come join yes. us. It's great on the other side. That's so good. Good for you. And I feel really like grateful for your therapist for, <laughs> building an on-ramp to recovery here that wasn't judgmental and pathologized. I had never thought of that, that you could be reading maybe an accurate depiction of the diagnosis, but still have it be wrapped in sort of shame. And so good for him for building a safe space to recover. That makes me feel grateful for him as well. So, okay. I'm going to have one last question for you before we get to it. Can you please just tell my readers, because you and I just scratched the surface here. So first of all, what my bones know is available right wherever people get books and how can they find you elsewhere? I'm on Instagram is probably the place where I'm most active. Foo, foo, foo. That's just my last name three times. If you're more of an audiobook person, just a heads up for that. My audiobook does include recordings of my real therapy sessions with Dr. Hum. And so that can be fun. What a good bonus inclusion <laughs> for the audiobook. That was kind of a courageous move, but so helpful. I bet you're getting huge feedback for that. Good for I like you. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's free therapy really is what you're handing people <laughs> I <laughs> so for so. sure. I was going through like really complex therapy a couple of years ago for oh, just some, some onset drama. And yeah, I would come in about once a week and be like, everybody, 
I paid $150 for this. You get it for free. Here's what I learned this week. And just share all my nuggets from my therapy sessions. And that's why the community trusts you, right? That's right. I mean, when we are willing not just to win in front of our community, but suffer, that creates something new. Those are deep waters. And so, okay, here's my last question, Stephanie. I I ask all my guests this in every series. And you can, please feel free to answer this however you want. Like you can give me a a sobering, lovely, earnest answer, or it could be ridiculous and absurd. We get it all. Okay, the question I borrowed from an Episcopalian priest, and I love her. What is saving your life right now? Honestly, it's really corny. Great. My husband, I feel like, because being pregnant sucks so much. (laughs) It's so hard. Yes. And I just need like help doing everything in a way that I, as like a very independent person, am not used to. But he is just always down to help and never shames me for it. And I'm very grateful for that right now. I love it. When are you due? August. Okay. All right. Here she comes. Yeah. (laughs) It's exciting. Um, I'm excited for you. You're going to be a great mom. You're going to be an incredible mom. You're breaking a cycle. And I'm always in awe of adults who break cycles of trauma, of abuse, of abandonment. And boy, that is really powerful to witness and to learn from. So thank you for living it out loud in front of people. I will put links up to all your goodies for my community who will want to know you more and follow you, of course, read your incredible memoir. So thank you again for being on today and being so willing to talk about your life to my community. Thank you. And again, it's been so fun. It's been an honor. And thank you for your your own vulnerability and your great questions. Uh Absolutely. You guys, thank you for listening today. And I am sending so much love right this second to every listener who shares a similar story, who you are holding your own complex PTSD in your hands. And thank you for listening today. And I hope you feel hopeful. There's so much more that Stephanie, I barely got to. And so per usual, if you go over to jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, I will have this entire episode and the show notes, but I'll link everything to her books, her socials, everything that you need. And feel free to share this episode with somebody who you'd love to understand you better or to walk through something with you or to hand out your own dose of hope to somebody who needs it. So thank you for listening. We have a lot more in Calming the Chaos series that, as always, we only bring to you in the hopes that it will serve you well. All right? You guys, thank you for being a good listener. Thank you for subscribing. See you next week. 